Live export is a difficult subject. Permission to publish interview content was given by all people in the following discussions. To join the conversation, visit facebook.com slash 47 degrees podcast. Imagine yourself on a ship at sea. It's a large ship with a lot of passengers. Tens of thousands of them, in fact. But these are no ordinary passengers. There are no sundecks, pools or entertainment. The food is less than ordinary, and the accommodation is cramped. Sanitation is extremely poor, to the point where the waste is simply hosed from underfoot and straight into the ocean. These passengers are in fact animals, being exported live across the world, from Australia to a variety of destinations, including North Asia, Russia, the Middle East and Southeast Asia. They might be sheep or cattle, but the thing they have in common is that their destiny is for slaughter in overseas markets. The conditions will then often deteriorate further. Standards for slaughter vary from bad to worse in some cases, and the general treatment is often a long way from humane. It's a terribly distressing experience, and a sad end to a life that was raised for the purpose of serving humans. The ship navigates its way across the ocean in all manner of changeable conditions. It rolls and heaves through extreme cold, extreme heat, and everything in between. With no room to move, the animals are forced to endure overcrowding, malnourishment, and nowhere to rest, other than in their own excrement. This process goes on for an extended period, beginning first with a few days in port as the ship is loaded, to weeks at sea depending on who's buying. Sometimes the whole journey can take up to eight weeks, from the farm gate to the feedlot, to loading and then to the final destination. By the time the animals arrive, they are exhausted, stressed, and quite simply, a sorry sight. As you continue to imagine this scene, take yourself from the relative comfort of the officers' quarters, and I mean relative, as this is no cruise liner, and begin the journey down the narrow steel stairways to the animal decks below. You've crossed the equator into much warmer waters, and you're heading for the Middle East. You witness thousands of animals suffering under the intense heat, swaying from side to side as they try to maintain their balance on the shifting floor. The stench is unbearable, but you try to convince yourself to adjust. Now imagine it's your job to look after the health and welfare of these animals. Yes, that's right, you're a vet, and it's your job to do what vets do, look after animals. You feel like checking the temperature, but you sense there's no point because it's just hot. So hot that you know it's got to be somewhere very north of 40 degrees Celsius, with humidity so high that there's just a constant feeling of wetness. You start scanning the animals, looking for the ones that need help. A bolt of rationality hits you, and you realise that they all need help, but that's not the kind of help you're here for. Oh, that's right, you're here to help the sick ones. But you remain objective and professional. This is live export, right? Of course there will be trouble. That was obvious from the moment you witnessed the animals being loaded. Or, wait a minute, is that just your biased view? Then you get a reminder again of the heatwave you've just sailed into. It's just so hot, and you're sweaty, and you're walking around in quantities of animal feces that are hard to describe. But you've got a job to do, and you press on. You scan the never-ending sea of sheep in front of you, looking for the ones that need help the most. Where do you start? Well, the ones who really are in trouble are perhaps the easiest. It's a simple decision. There's no discussion with the owner, as there would be in a small animal vet practice. No, you reach into your pocket, pull out the huge knife that's constantly at your side, and you end the life with a swift blow of the blade. It's as quick as you can make it. 
You console yourself with the thought that it's the most professional and humane method at your disposal at that particular moment in time. You move on and find yourself doing it a few more times. It's getting hotter. And then a few more. There's a definite rhythm emerging. Then there are thuds. Where did they come from? And why is it so damn hot in here? More thuds. And then you realize that you don't even have time to get around to the animals anymore. They're dropping like flies. Although, they're not flies. They're sheep, and they make a big noise when they drop dead. And it's just so damn hot in here. What's with that? You then wonder what to do with them all. You could carry all the dead ones down to the grinder, or mm, you look to the edge of the ship. Hmm. You bend down to euthanize another sheep. There's something weird going on with the skin and flesh of this animal. It just seems to be separating in some unusual way. Blood spurts onto your hand as you cut its throat, and it scalds you. It's hot. Really hot. It's not just the air that's hot. The sheep are hot. Curious, you get out a thermometer and plunge it into the sheep's flesh. You take a measurement, and to your horror it reads, 47 degrees. That can't be right. You take another look. Yes, it's correct. You've come to the terrible conclusion that it's like being cooked alive. But you're a professional. You make a note of it and move on with disposing of the carcass. It's all in a day's work on a live animal export ship, you tell yourself. Now stop imagining that you are going through all this and consider that this is the real-life experience of live animal export vet Dr Lynn Simpson. This is her story. I'm Colin Klupik. This is 47 Degrees. It was back in July 2016 that I first came across Lynn's story, and it was the first time I seriously considered the subject of live animal export. Like for many people, it's something you don't really think about. We spoke back then and talked about her experiences in three short podcasts. Fast forward to 2018, and live export was in the media again, so I caught up with Lynn to discuss her story and include some wider perspective. What surprised me is that this is not just a story about animal welfare, but a lot of other things too. Things that, again, for most people, just don't really enter their minds. The ripples of this story go far and wide. When barriers to this trade go up in one part of the world, the problem tries to shift itself down the path of least resistance. This story isn't political. It isn't redneck. It's not crazy environmental. It's a personal story that seeks simply to say, you know what, this just isn't working. It's likely you'll recoil at some of the graphic details. But you'll also find humour in the tragedy and strange encounters on the high seas, and bizarrely enough, on aeroplanes too. To get some backstory, I spoke with a woman named Mandy Peter, who lives within striking distance of the wharves of Fremantle on Australia's west coast. Lynn rented a room off Mandy in the early days, and suggested that I give Mandy a call for some no-nonsense reflections on her pre-seafaring days. I remember meeting her, thinking her what was just a breath of fresh air to, to meet someone who was so straightforward. She's a straight shooter. She doesn't play games and she just really, I really connected with her how genuine she is. And uh, did you get a, a sense that she was probably heading into a, 
the great unknown. Did you f- sense perhaps that she was biting off a little bit more that she could chew? I mean, she, I, I believe she was at the beginning of her, of her veterinary journey back in those days. Lynn's got such a, an interesting past that I always knew at that, at that stage that she was destined for greatness because um, she'd had such a, a colourful past. I mean, she was uh, riding horses and at the, at the racetrack and um, one of the jockeys suggested to her that it wasn't normal to read physics books. So, you know, she went and did veterinary science as a mature age student. But when I met her, she was, you know, she was working, working practically full time on the wharf, studying full time and, and still had time to help me. And we were at such different stages in life. You know, she was a full time student and I was a, a young mum. We were probably quite polar opposites, but we just seemed to, to, to connect. You know, I was, you know, with this little young family and um, she came and she was so patient and it was, yeah, she did treat them like Kelpies, but that was okay. They <laughs> needed that kind of, yeah. So, um, but, the, you know, we, my adult children now have a lifelong connection with her and um, she's stayed in our lives since the first day I met her. Mm. Did you get an impression of what life must have been like on the wharf just by uh, hanging around her and, and, and hearing what she had to say? Did she talk much about it? Definitely. I, um, she worked so hard on the wharf um, and she would often, um, uh, before she came and uh, lived with us for a time, you know, I'd see her before she was off to, to work. And what, what amazed me was she's, she's got this beautiful long hair and it would, it would go underneath a hat and she would almost have to raise a height to six foot two, you know, because she was entering into a man's domain at that stage, you know. Mm. And so she would she would have to she would have to cut it with the boys and work <laughs> as hard as them. As as hard as the the you know? Um and so I mean a, 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 I remember one day she came home and she was over the moon because she was laughing at one of the truckies who couldn't back the semi up to the ramp. And they said, well, you do it. So she did it. Uh. And she just, she's just such a capable person, you know. Yeah. She, yeah. No yeah. license, no training, doesn't matter we're on the wharf. It's, it's yeah. the, the, well, the wharf law well, here. Could, yeah. Oh, no, I'd, I'd say, she, you know, I'd say Lynn's probably got a road train license, you know, hidden, hidden in a top drawer. But she's, <laughs> but she's such a mix because she, she's a mix because she can, you know, she's, She's she's a great um, role model as a woman because she's she's still feminine. She's still a female, but she, you know, can work as hard as a bloke, and um, that's why I think that she has had problems because there's been times when you know intellectually she just you know blows me away and 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 how she looks at problems and problem solves and so well, she was always destined to become passionate about um the live export trade because right back at the beginning when she was just loading um animals she'd say how cruel it is you know how mm. it could be done better if if there was more regulations then so no, she really did put her heart and soul into trying to improve the the trade from the inside out. 
Did you get a sense that her opinion or reaction to the situation was changing when she started to sail on voyages? She's always been consistent that, I mean, initially when she started sailing straight after vet school, I mean, she was she was always going to be a different kind of vet. Um, she's not that tolerant of fluffy white dog owners. Um, so she was never going to be a, um, you know, a small animal vet. She was always destined for large animals. Um, and, and so her sense of adventure and the, the live export trade, I think that really, that sort of when you're in your twenties and that's, that's, it's almost like it's going to be almost a, a, a romantic experience. And then the realities of it were shocking. You know, mm. they, they were just absolutely shocking. And, and her, her documentation and her stories that she would come back with off, off the ships, they weren't, you know, cause we didn't, there was no sort of mobile phones at, iPhones at that stage. So it was a lot of, she would come back and she would, you know, tell me of things that had happened. Um, and it would always be, you know, added on to there's got to be a better way. Yeah. And so, so she's the sort of person who would, who would come back from a voyage, see incredibly awful things, and then come back and say, sit down to dinner with you and say, oh, I saw all these really terrible things. The world needs to change. And by the way, what's for dinner? She's not a, you know, she's not going to be on a bandwagon beating a drum until she's got all the facts. Mm. So we would sit down and she would, would tell me things that had happened on the voyage. And, you know, some of the things that she went through, she, it was just absolutely shocking. Um, mm. And, you, you know, not just, not just the, the deaths of animals, but she became acutely aware of the seafarers that she was working with. You know, they were there for months and months on end away from their families and sending home money to supporting families and living in the most, you know, basic conditions. So I think it was, she could see there was just a whole spectrum of, of things that needed improving. Um, and then I think, so I think, you know, she tried for years to, to improve stuff, um, from the inside out. And I know she had one of the lowest mortalities, um, when she was a, an export vet because she did a job. Mm. She, she was co constantly, you know, checking and monitoring and doing what an onboard vet should do. Um, and it wasn't a matter of, oh, well, we've lost so many sheep. It was a matter of. Um, you know, well, how can we stop this again? I mean, when when she was on a voyage and the, they crossed the equator and sheep were cooking, mm. as as she said, she she opened one up and it had liquefied. Yeah. And but she didn't just go, oh my god, this is terrible. She stuck a thermometer into it to get its core temperature um, to see how hot those sheep were. Yeah. You know, and. To me, um, my background's in critical care nursing, and to me that was such a stroke of genius because it wasn't a, you know, she's not a reactive person. She's a scientist. Yeah. And it was, well, unless I've got these facts, 
I'm not going to be able to make a change. So where do you think the road ahead is for Lynn now in this particular situation? As a, again, as an observer and as a friend, where do you think this is going to go? Um, I think that she is determined to see it through. I know that she won't work, walk away until there is definite improvement in live export. I saw one one report about her being a a, a greeny tree hugging activist, <laughs> and I said I, I thought that was funny because you know Lynn loves nothing more than a good steak, <laughs> and as long as it's killed humanely, and preferably um, she doesn't have to cook it, which is terrible. Cool. Um, but <laughs> you know, I think that um, she'll she will keep going, and when she's when she's reached the the outcome she wants for the live export trade, I'd say that she will take a little bit of time for her, a bit of personal development. But I have no doubt she'll be overseas doing animals abroad or improving the life of another species because that's what she's passionate about. After speaking with Mandy and making contact with some other industry people with strong views on live export, I knew that this time around there'd be a lot more ground to cover. But Mandy was right. Lynn was passionate then, and she's still passionate now. But not a kind of emotional passionate, more of a straight-down-the-line passionate. And about other things too, like art and culture, which I was about to find out. Forty Seven Degrees is independently produced by Colink Media. Interviews, narration and production by Colin Klupik. Music licensed by Getty Images. To get in touch, send your emails to 47degrees at colinkmedia.com or to post your thoughts and join the conversation, visit facebook.com slash 47degreespodcast. <laughs>